0: Good morning. I want to uh, invite you to uh, be with us this evening at 6 o'clock. We're going to be having our night of worship. We haven't had one in a while, and I think it's our first for this year, 2017. So looking forward to gathering together and the love and the mercy and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and just get together and just worship the Lord. Our worship teams and various others will, will be uh, uh, leading us in, in that time. We'll also be looking uh, at God's Word for a little while and just uh, take some time even to be available to pray. As the Lord leads us, we're going to just be led. And since uh, tomorrow is uh, the official—I'm lab- sorry—the official Memorial Day uh, holiday. Many of you may not be working, so that gives you a chance to stay out a little bit longer. And so we may even sing a few extra songs uh, on, uh, on our time tonight. So I invite you to come and be and be with us. It's always a joy when the family of uh, of God get together and and uh, and, and share in, in, in His love and His mercies and especially when we're given an opportunity to go a little bit further beyond the, the time that we do, even in our services, to, to worship and to praise the Lord. So please uh, be welcome to come and, and, uh, and, and join us. Now, today is uh, Memorial Day weekend, and Memorial Day is a <clears throat> very special day, I think, for our, our country. Uh, there there uh, is a distinction that needs to be drawn, though, between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Because sometimes that gets a little confused with some people. And, and, uh, but what I've seen over the many, many years that I've uh, experienced Memorial Day and Veterans Day is that Memorial Day is a day to honor those who have given their lives in the service of our country. In other words, they sacrificed their lives for us, and we're to remember them. And many of us have family or, or know of people that uh, are a part of our lives that we do remember, and, and that is what this uh, holiday is about. At the same time, we, we also like to acknowledge those who are veterans and have been certainly uh, in service to this country. Now, Veterans Day is just the other way around. We, we honor our veterans that are still with us, and uh, that's in November, November 11th, and uh, we give thanks to the Lord for them. But we also remember those that have gone before us, and so there's a little bit of both uh, holidays in each, okay? Uh, but today is Memorial Day, and therefore we, we do, we do uh, remember those who have sacrificed, made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms today. And, and I think that the problem with understanding all of these things is we, we've, we've lost a grip of what all of these things mean. Uh, we've taken for granted the importance of service to our country, or we've taken for granted the, the importance of honoring those who have, have given their lives uh, and given of their service uh, to the country. So I want to, uh, at this time, even though we're 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 uh, memorializing those who have given uh, the full measure of of their lives, I also want to acknowledge those who have served and are serving this country today, as a reminder to us of that importance. So, if you have uh, if you are a veteran or you are in in current uh, uh, military service today, I would like to have you just stand. We're we're just going to acknowledge you today and thank the Lord for you because it is a, a great service that you've given. And we do thank the Lord for you. Thank you. Thank you all very much for your service to this country. And uh, may God continue to bless you. This morning. I'd like to draw your attention to Psalm 83. I, I was unable to be here last night. I thank uh, Pastor Tom for filling in for me. So whenever uh, I don't have a Saturday and Sunday together, I usually teach something different on Sunday morning. And Pastor Tom will teach whatever he teaches uh, or one of the other pastors on Saturday night. So you, you get two 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 meals in one, I guess, one weekend. But, uh, I've taken this opportunity to focus our attention on a, on a prophecy update. I, I want to, first of all, mention to you the importance of prophecy in the church because uh, we are living in times that are grave and, and serious and uh, we see so many things happening globally all around the world today. And what we as, a, as the body of Christ need to remember is that 30% of the Bible And I would think as I I study the the scriptures that it's even more than just 30%. But at least 30% of the Bible is about Bible prophecy. It's about prophecy that is dealing with prophetic issues, not only for the times of, of Israel and the church, but for a time called the end times or the latter days or the last days. And one of the problems in the church today is that we have not focused as much time and attention on uh, prophetic issues, that there are so many different uh, views of, 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 of prophecy when the Lord is coming for the church or when, when the second coming is going to be happening and, and all. But it is inherent in us as believers to listen carefully to the words of Jesus who tell us who tells us the importance of, of prophecy by just reading, if you will, Matthew chapter 24 or, or Mark chapter 13 or, or Luke chapter 21. And you realize the importance of looking at a time that is yet to come and comparing the scriptures to that time so that we can be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church needs to be ready but there are a lot of problems today in, in this issue of prophecy. So I want to I make it clear to you that it is an important thing for us to study prophecy. But it's also an important thing for us to continue to live our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, as the light of the world, as a salt to the earth. And so I'd like to have you turn to Psalm 83. I'm going to read all of the psalm to you today. And we're going to only study a portion of it. And I know that the Lord is going to bring us back to this next week. Then we'll get back into John the following week. Okay, that'll kind of bring our Saturday night folks up to up 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 to date with us next week. I'll try to help them out next Saturday to kind of get caught up because you all are hearing something they didn't hear. Okay, they heard something else, and I'm sure it was a blessing and all. But uh, I want to get them caught up on this because I I believe it is ultimately an important issue for us to be in tune with what's going on in the world today and having, as, as some people used to say, a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other and seeing what's happening in the world and, and tying it all together. So let's look at Psalm 83. And by the way, Psalm 83 is, is very much connected to Ezekiel 38. We're studying Ezekiel on Wednesday nights. So we, we just finished the first part of Ezekiel 37, which deals with the raising up of the dry bones and, and that being the nation of Israel, the nation that we see today that God has reestablished in the land and is going to bless them uh, in, in the latter days and latter times. So that, that is what we're going through right now. If you haven't studied Ezekiel with us, it's okay. This is a great time to come on Wednesday night and jump in to that study. But these two passages, uh, Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38, are are very much tied together. and We're going to tie all of that together actually next week. Psalm 83 verses 1 through 18. Keep not thou silence, O God. This is a prayer of Israel to God. Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, a commotion. And they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent, they are confederate against thee. The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites, of Moab and the Hag- Hagarenes. Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre, Asur, or Assyria. Assur also is joined with them. They have holpen or helped the children of Lot. Meditate upon that. That's what Selah means. Do unto them as unto the Midianites, as to the Sisera, as to Yabin, and to the brook of Kison, which perished at Endor. They became as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, yea, all their princes as Zeba and as Zalmuna. And those are all characters that we find in the book of Judges, who said, Let us take to ourselves the houses of God in possession. O my God, make them like a wheel, as the stubble before the wind. As the fire burneth the wood, and as the flame setteth the mountains on fire, so persecute them with thy tempest, and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah or Yahweh, Art the Most High over all the earth. We have just completed a very historic week as far as national and world events go, especially pertaining to the grueling trip President Trump took to Saudi Arabia, Israel, the Vatican, Brussels, and Italy to visit, respectively with Arab and Muslim leaders from the Middle East, Africa, and other nearby regions, followed by a visit with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel, and then to meet the Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas in Bethlehem, followed by meeting with Pope Francis at the Vatican. From the Vatican, President Trump flew to Brussels, Belgium, to meet with his NATO counterparts. And before returning home to the United States, he attended the G7 meetings. G7 just stands for the group of seven. The G7 meetings in Taormina, Italy, with the leaders of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Great Britain, and Japan. You add the United States to that group, and you have seven nations. We also know that during this same week, we heard of the tragic terrorist attack on young concert goers in Manchester, England, which left 22 people dead and many others injured. I was saddened as well to even look at the news today to see that in a couple of states here in the United States there are still people that are gunning down law enforcement officers and that's still taking place today. But without even mentioning the unrest at home and abroad, it is of great significance to mention as a reminder that we are indeed living in what the scriptures call the last days, and that these days are extremely dangerous. In 2 Timothy chapter three, and we spent some time in this, in 2016, a, a few times I, I went back to this passage, especially verses one through five, but I went back to this passage, taught it at a few uh, prophecy conferences and pastor's conferences uh, last year, uh, because it was so heavy on my heart that we, we weren't, as a, as a church, and I'm, I'm speaking of the body of Christ, that we weren't really realizing The significance of of Bible prophecy in our daily lives. We've kind of looked at other focuses of attention in the church. I'll get to some of those in a minute, but when you read the the words of, of, of Paul here, consider what he says, this know also. You see, there are some things that he wants us to know as believers in Jesus Christ, but he says this know also. This is important for you to know. That in the last days, perilous times will come. Dangerous times, difficult times, extremely painful times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You know, we can take that whole list and say, wow, that sounds like our day today. That sounds like a whole lot of people that we see living in this earth, doing what they do day in and day out. But that being all around us, and yet none of it good. Notice, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. I can just hear all the protesters today, you know, that are protesting you know, racism and sexism and bigotry and all kinds of other things. That's a terrible thing for this Paul to say. Well, he was saying exactly what, was happen- what is happening today. Seeing it 2,000 years ago. And then he said, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And think about the day and time in which we live. I mean, we, we are in a highly sophisticated technological time. I mean, there are so many devices. I venture to say that most of you have a device on you. Maybe some of you are using a device with your Bible, you're right? Your, your, your phone Bible or your tablet Bible, right? And you better not be looking at something else got a Bible on it then just use the Bible I would hope and pray you have one of these too you're in one of these you know make notes but the fact is we're always learning we're so technologically advanced medically advanced and yet look at the condition of the world today has it gotten any better not at all It's gotten worse. And folks, it's not getting any better, and it won't get better until Jesus Christ comes. So we're always learning, but we're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is God's word. Of what he said about our lives then, our lives now, and our lives to come. What he says about the world then and what he says about the world now and the the world to come. And what the truth is from God's perspective, not man's. I've had enough of man's perspective. I don't know about you. I'm tired of what man says about this world. I'm looking forward to Jesus Christ, not to Antichrist. You understand? We've got so many people there looking for Antichrist here, Antichrist there. You can't... Oh my goodness, you look at uh, YouTube and all kinds of other platforms and you think, my goodness, people are so obsessed with, you know, looking for the devil under every tree and under every rock. I can tell you, he's already here. Been messing things up for thousands of years. What we're to be looking for is the coming of Jesus and he's the one that said, I'm coming. Keep looking for me. Love the appearing, love the appearing of Jesus. Jesus. I haven't even finished, have I? I better finish reading here. I'm getting too excited on one part. I'll never get to Psalm 83. Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Then he says in verse 8, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Janus and Jambres, our name's actually not coming out of the Old Testament, but we know who they are. Obviously, God put this on, on, on Paul's heart to share that these two were the were, were actually those priests that were... Uh, Pharaoh's uh, servants that were mimicking everything that God was doing through Moses and Aaron when Moses was sent by God to, to tell uh, Pharaoh to let his people go. And of course, Pharaoh hardened his heart and hardened his heart and hardened his heart. So he, he uses these words very interestingly. He says, Janice and Jammers withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. As they were resisting the truth of God being the one who has come to deliver his people out of the bondage of Egypt. So people today are resisting the truth of Jesus Christ coming to set people free from the bondage of sin and death. And by the way, that resisting of the truth is not just in the world. It's happening in in portions of the church as well. Men of corrupt minds, listen, men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. In other words, mindless concerning the faith. How can we be mindless about the faith that has been given to us by Christ in his word and be mindless? (laughs) That means we haven't paid attention. We're not paying attention and we're not staying where God wants us to be. But verse 9 says, but they shall proceed no further. There comes a time when God just says, this is it. He, he's going to cut it off. They shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be, made, shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. As the folly of Janice and Jambers was, so will the folly of those who resist the truth of Jesus Christ. So with these conditions so prevalent today, it was necessary... It was necessary to pay close attention to the president's travels and itinerary and stay focused on the fact that the Lord is still very much in control of all that is taking place in the world prophetically and biblically. Now, we might wonder why, and with good reason, that President Trump went to the locations of the three major religions of the world. Saudi Arabia, which is the seat of Islam. Only because of two cities, Mecca and Medina, Two cities that uh, prompted President Trump to say something. And and I'm going to tell you, I, I copied a transcript of his speech so I could read it word for word because I didn't want to say anything that wasn't there. But I read his speech. And a couple of times, he mentions Saudi Arabia as a holy land. And he mentions that for two reasons, because of those two cities, Mecca and Medina. He calls it a sacred land, using that word. And I thought, no, that land's not sacred. You have to understand something about Islam. You have to understand that Islam does not worship the same God as we do. Islam does not worship the same God as the Jews do. The Jews and the Christians worship and know, are supposed to know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Islam worships Allah, and Allah is not the same God. Allah is a a God, little g, of a a number of gods that actually, in, in, in Islamic thought, won out over all the other gods, so that's the God that they worship. And, and, the, and, the, and the thing that, that, that really burdens my heart is that when you, when you study the, the foundations of Islam, you realize that it is based, it is not so much a religion as it is an ideology, but it is based on demonic things. So how can it be sacred? There's one place that is sacred. There's one place holy. It is the city that God said was his city. And it was trampled over. But God hasn't changed his mind. Zion, Jerusalem, Yerushalayim. That is what's holy. And that was, what needs to remain as holy in our understanding. So I was burdened by, by hearing that and seeing that. But anyway, he went to Saudi Arabia, the seat of Islam. Then he went to Israel, the seat of Judaism, Jerusalem. But there, not too far from Jerusalem, is the city of Bethlehem. And there he went to go meet with Mahmoud Abbas, who is a terrorist and one who supports terrorism, the Palestinian leader. And he's, you know, trying to broker deals to bring peace. But then he was going to go from there to the Vatican in Rome. The Vatican is not the seat of Christianity, as some people, and most people think because of the news and news media. Every time there is some, you know, Christmas, Easter, some, some event like that, they always show you what's happening in the Vatican. <laughs> but the Vatican is not the seat of Christianity. The Vatican is the seat of the Roman Catholic Church. It is the seat of Roman Catholicism. And I say that um, purposely Well, my question to you about that right now just before we go on is where is the center of true Christianity true Christianity if it isn't where the Lord is think about what Jesus wants to do in coming back to receive his church unto himself so that where I am there you will be also I want to be with him in fact he's with us now he said, I'll be with you always. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you. Now, we as, as a church, as, a, as believers in Jesus Christ, could say Jerusalem is one of our centers because that's where the church was born, at Pentecost. That's where the church received the power of the Holy Spirit to go and preach the gospel from Jerusalem and, Ju- and Judea and Samaria and to, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That could be one of the seats for us. That's why we go to Israel whenever and as often as we can, and to learn the scriptures right in that wonderful place, which most people in the world call the Holy Land. But we we also have a, a, a seat in heaven. Jesus said about your treasures, that you should set your treasures in heaven and not on this earth where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. So the kingdom of God, wherever it is, is the seat of our true Christianity. So it's not so much a place here Yet we have to acknowledge the fact that there is coming soon because the scriptures teach of of a one world government being established in the end times. There's also a one world religion being established in the end times. And that's happening today all around us. Ecumenicalism, you know, putting aside the the Bible, put aside the truths of, of things so we can get together and become one religion that's that's what's happening today i'll talk more about that later right now i just want to kind of establish things i'm really getting ahead of myself we could be here till tonight you know the worship and since you're already here we'll just stay and worship the lord together Now, it isn't my intention to speak to every issue of the president's address on this trip, but I do want to point out what he said in terms of where we are today. One of the most disconcerting things that he said that caused my antenna to perk up was the statement that he made to Arab leaders in this great big convocation that they had in in Saudi Arabia. And I quote, he said, our vision is one of peace peace Security and prosperity in this region and the world. I, I quote that directly from the president's speech. Our vision is one of peace, security, and prosperity. It is a simple and yet profound statement because of its prophetic implications. Our vision is one of peace, security, and prosperity. You can take security and prosperity and wrap it up into one word. That word is safety. Safety. Safety we talk about safety as a, as a nation that includes security and it includes prosperity to be able to prosper in whatever way that we can and have the freedoms to do that peace and safety interesting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 the apostle Paul after describing this wonderful uh, uh, event called the rapture of the church in verse in chapter 4. In chapter 5 he says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. It was something that Paul was burdened on, on his heart by the Lord to teach them about the times of the end. He said, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a, as a thief in the night. Now, as much as he gave that to the Thessalonians, that was written for us. That was written for us to prepare for the day of the Lord that is coming as a thief in the night. When you consider what the day of the Lord is, you have to understand that if you look back at chapter 4 and the rapture of the church and we're to comfort one another with the fact that Jesus is coming and he's going to gather together his people out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and gather them together, Uh, John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3 as well, signifies that that's what Jesus is going to come and, and, and snatch us and take us out because the next seven years has is, is, is been called in the scriptures the day of the Lord those seven years and we'll talk about that more in just a minute but in those seven years that day is really for Israel that's the reason why Israel is back in the land today God is not yet done with Israel. There's seven more years of discipline. There's seven more years of of, uh, his uh, preparing them to return to him. But Paul says for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. If he comes as a thief in the night, what does that mean to us? We need to be ready before he comes. For when they shall say, notice this, peace and safety. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. Most of you ladies who have born children, you know what that travail is like. And and, and it is a common expression, an example of what takes place in the last days. And it says, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. We are not supposed to be in darkness. We have been given the light of the glory of God. We've been given the light of the glory of Christ. And we have been given the light of the glory of his word. You're not to be in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. To be sober simply here in the scriptures means to be serious about these things. How many people in the church are serious about what's going on in the world today? We're starting to find, you know, trying to look for little camps where we can you know, feel like we're appreciated by the way we think about, you know, who's president, who's not president, who's what, who's what here or who's what there. doesn't matter. You know what matters? Jesus is coming and he's got everything in control. So what are we worried about? But if we are watching with all seriousness the things that are taking place all over the world then we would have to admit that the events of this past week are drawing us ever so close to the return of Jesus Christ for his bride and the central focus of the president's words are not coincidental. They are pointing us to the very epicenter of biblical closure. Jerusalem and Israel. That's what they're pointing us to. How much better to consider the following verses? Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. Because this is revealing to us what is going to happen in the last days concerning Israel. But it begins with this statement, and after three score and two weeks. Three score and two weeks, that's 62 weeks of years. That's... Four hundred and eighty-three years. I'm doing the math in my head. It's pretty slow, isn't it? Okay. Well, I'm not a calculator, so I'm not supposed to know these things. Four hundred eighty-three years. That leaves seven years to complete seventy weeks of years. That's that's seven weeks. Where was Messiah cut off? Jerusalem. So that's implied here. After threescore and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. In other words, Messiah would be killed, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come. Now let's, let's define that because the, the prince that shall come is the Antichrist. So the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And everybody says, well, that's happened a lot. Yes, it has. It happened in, 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 in uh, the time of Nebuchadnezzar, and it happened in the time of the Romans. They destroyed the city. And each one had a prince that they could say, well, that, that prince was, was certainly Antichrist. I'll get back to that in a moment. But this is pointing to another time that that's going to happen. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant, speaking of the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. One week is, uh, is a week of years, seven years, which is the seven years I'm talking about. And in the midst of the week which is three and a half years, right in the middle of those seven years. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, which tells us there's going to be a temple on the Temple Mount again because of all of this stuff that's going on this week. I mean, not not because this is the week that's going to establish that, but it certainly seems to be working toward establishing some peace between Arabs and Jews and Christians, or as we said earlier, you know, right now, just Catholics, but the point of the matter is, one world religion, one world government, all aiming toward this. One person we call the beast or the antichrist, to go into the temple and cause the oblation or the sacrifices to cease, just like Antiochus Epiphanes did 200 years before Jesus was born on this earth. You shall make it desolate even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So we know where that is. It's talking about Jerusalem. Zechariah 12, verses 1 through 3 says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel. Notice, the burden for Israel. Saith the Lord, which stretches forth the heavens and layeth the foundations, or the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem. Very clear, right? We know where that is. I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered against it. Now that's a very significant uh, judgment. All all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Why will those who burden themselves with Jerusalem be cut in pieces? Because they have one desire, and that is to cut Jerusalem in pieces. And divide not only Jerusalem, but divide the land. That land doesn't belong to anybody but God. Because that's what the word of God says. This land is not anyone's land to divide, it is my land. Take, for example, Joel chapter 3, verse 2. Joel chapter 3, verse 2 says, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people. Who's he pleading for? Israel. I will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and did what? Parted my land. What do you think they talk about in the United Nations almost every day? How they can divide the land of Israel? How they can divide the city of Jerusalem? And it has burdened my heart over the, the, the many years that I've heard presidents, not just the present president, but the past the past couple of presidents who have had advisors go into them and say, listen, we need to have a two-state solution. We need to divide the land and we need to divide the city of Jerusalem. I I would suggest that presidents from now on listen to people who actually believe the Bible. The land does not belong to anyone but God. And God says, it's my land, you don't divide it. It's my city, you don't touch it. So I think the names and the places in these scriptures I've just given you are clear and obvious but what about those mentioned in Psalm 83? We're finally there, folks, and we don't have a whole lot of time, so, you know, we're going to have to really put in overdrive here and get going. But the names and the places are clear here. So what about Psalm 83? This psalm begins, as I said earlier, with a prayer, a prayer of desperation by a beleaguered and overwhelmed Israel, asking for God to take action against an evil alliance intent on wiping out their existence. Listen to these words. Psalm 83 verse 1. Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies, God's enemies, make a tumult. They make a commotion, they make a conniption, you know. They cause, they're causing problems. Thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee, notice, the enemies hate God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They that hate thee have lifted up the head. What does that mean? Well, those of you who may have studied Bible prophecy over the last 50 years, let's say, 50 or 40 years, might remember that back in the early or the mid-60s and early 70s, uh, We didn't have a whole lot of books on Bible prophecy. There was the late great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. That was a a big hit. You know, everybody pretty much read that book and 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 a few others. But these so-called prophecy experts, even back then, did not recognize the importance that Islam would play in the last days. Yeah, there were the countries. You know, there were the significant countries, Egypt and Assyria or Syria, and Lebanon and those, but it was more looking at things from, from more governmental than, than personal. And so, uh, and, and I, I say so-called Bible experts, I have to tell you right now, we are all only students of prophecy because no, nothing has been totally fulfilled yet. So how can we be experts in something that hasn't happened? So we're all students. We're just students of the Bible. We're students of prophecy. But, but we have to understand, to lift up their head means that somewhere down the line, they had their heads hidden. And for the longest time, you know, we would look at things like the 10-nation confederacy, and that meant that was Europe, and certainly the European common market was going to have 10 nations, and as soon as that 10th nation came into the common market, boom, we're going to have the end time. Well, there was 10, and then there was 11, and then there was 12, and then there was 13, and then they changed the name from the European Common Market to the European Union, and then the, whatever it is that we have today. 29 nations, I think it is now. What happened to the 10? See, so how, how expert could we have been? So we're, we're still kind of growing and still learning because people are starting to lift their heads up a little bit. There, there, has always, there have always been terrorists. You know, we had the, Pil- the, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO, were very active back in, in the early 60s, they, even, even before, uh, you know, they became really famous or infamous, as it were, in Munich, you know, when they killed the Jewish athletes there at the, at the Olympics. But um, back then, they, you know, just, just little times, you'd see little things happening. Today, what do you have? When there's a terrorist thing like this thing in Manchester, what happened? ISIS raises up and says, we're responsible. Over the last 15 years, Al-Qaeda, we're responsible. What are they doing? They're lifting up their heads. How many people really saw Islam as an, as an effective uh, sit, uh, uh, problem in, in, in the last days? Not like we see today. And it's, and it's getting more and more uh, to be an issue. Notice what they say. They that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and and consulted against thy hidden ones. Now that's something that that again is is prophetic to those Jews that Jesus described that would flee uh, Jerusalem and flee Israel and would end up going to Petra in Jordan where God would have a hiding place for them. So we have to keep that in mind. Then it says, they have said, come, come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, this confederacy of haters of God and of his people. Let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against, listen, not against Israel only, they are confederate against thee. It is to God. So let me just say that rather than, than consider this to be speaking of a past event connected to the time of King Jehoshaphat, you know, Jehoshaphat fought you know, against uh, uh, Mount Seir and, and the Ammonites, uh, you know, the, the Moabites and the Ammonites and all, but that was about it. So it's not the past event with King Jehoshaphat because they fought in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, But for a number of reasons, most students of prophecy are convinced that this is really a future event. Psalm 83. So, Hitler, by the way, Hitler attempted what verse 4 describes. Hitler attempted what verse 4 describes. Israel's enemies are committed to it as well. uh, Israel's enemies are committed to Israel's complete destruction. And in the very near future, it will be the major goal of the beast or Antichrist and his Confederate kings. Now, you have to understand this about Islam. They may be a quarrelsome crowd among themselves. Shias against Sunnis, Sunnis against Shias, and and, and many Muslims are killed by Muslims. It's a fact of of everyday life, especially in, 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 in Islamic nations. They might be a quarrelsome crowd among themselves, but they will have one thing in common. They will have one thing in common, cutting off Israel as a nation. That's what they'll have in common. And what we learn from this passage is that the hatred described is not just a hatred of Israel. It is a hatred of Israel's God, the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, and consequently the God of the Word of God, both the Old and the New Testaments, which would include us as well. Now, what nations make up this confederacy? Well, if we look at verses 6-8, through and I'm going to just do this very quickly I, I intend to have a map for you to see where these nations are, and then I'm going to not only have the map for you to see it here, but I want to give you a map so that you can have it and know where these nations are, because you need to see that as, as being so significant to our day and time. The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarines. The Hagarines, by the way, are, are Egyptian because Hagar, uh, the, the concubine of, of Abraham, was, was from Egypt. Gave birth to Ishmael. Notice in the next few verses. Uh, the, Ishmael, well, the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagreens, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assur also is joined with them. They have hope in the children of Lot, Selah. Now, if, if I may, some of these nations are quite obvious, while some need a bit of explanation as to whom they represent in present times. But generally speaking, we'll see there will be some very clear distinctions and comparisons to nations and groups that we see in global and Middle Eastern events. So, there are certain views by students of prophecy that are worth noting. First of all, Edom, we've talked a lot about Edom. Uh, God is going to judge Edom. Edom, come, That nation came out of Esau, who was the, the, the twin brother of, uh, of Jacob. Well, East Edom extends from Jordan to Saudi Arabia. And I'm just giving you a geographic detail. Gebal, uh, according to Unger's Bible Dictionary, uh, is in Lebanon, but it is 25 miles north of Beirut. But it's still on the coastline of the Mediterranean. Uh, also, it is the center of Hezbollah. How many of you have heard of Hezbollah or Hezbollah? Only three of you? How many of you have heard of Hezbollah? Maybe it's how I pronounce it. I'm, I'm actually pronouncing it right. Okay, you have heard Yeah. All right. Well, it's, 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 it's a terrorist organization that fights against Israel at, at, at all times. They send bombs into Israel from the north of Israel. Philistia, uh, Gaza, today the center for Hamas. Have you heard of Hamas? Terrorist organization. They, they will oftentimes bomb Israel from the west, southwest of, of, uh, from Israel. Then there are the Ishmaelites and Hagrites, Arabs in general, <clears throat> Assyria or Assur; These are Iraq, Syria, and Turkey. At the height it included Egypt and Iran as well. Assyria, the great empire, covered the areas known as, uh, now known as Iraq, parts of Syria, and Turkey. And then Amalek is Jordan southwest of the Dead Sea. So, Edom has Southern Jordanians, the Ishmaelites, Saudi Arabians, Moab, Central Jordanians, Hagarites, Egyptians, Gebal, Northern Lebanese, Ammon, Northern Jordanians, Amalek, Arabs, south of Israel, Philistines, Palestinians of Gaza. Uh, and by the way, there's, there really are no Palestinians. I'm gonna talk about that next week. Uh, inhabitants of Tyre, Southern Lebanese, and Assyria, which is Syria or the region of Syria. Last breakdown is this, the tents or the tabernacles of Edom, Palestinian and southern Jordan. Uh, Ishmaelites again, uh, the Saudis, because Ishmael was the father of the Arabs, Uh, Moab. You know what, I'm gonna just skip that. I told you that kind of stuff, okay. I have about three different lists, kind of tying them a little bit different to some of the wordings that we see in the news. But anyway, with all of these things in mind, and while we're made more aware of the players in this end-time scenario, I mean, we're just given a scorecard here, you know, primarily with the names of the players. What are we, with this, with this list, what are we as the Church of Jesus Christ to do? I tell you, i said a whole lot, and I'm running out of time, but I'm just trying to set up something that I think will be more clear for us next week when we look at the whole of, of Psalm 83 and connect it a little bit to Ezekiel 38. But... I want you to know that this isn't just about knowing geography and it isn't just about knowing names on a scorecard. It is about remembering and knowing that Jesus Christ is coming very soon. It is about knowing that he is always and has been and always will be in control. The Bible is clear that God is in control of what takes place in the last days. The Bible is clear that the, that the Lord does not need the church to get this world ready by, by going out and doing whatever, like you know, those who have this dominion theology. We're gonna take dominion, then we'll present the world to Jesus. No, we can't do that. It's not in our power to do that. It's not even what God called us to do. What he called us to do is what I'm gonna show you here in, in, in four sections. OK, make it five. But this is what he has called us to do as the church in the last days. Are you ready? All right, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And by the way, as you're turning to 1 Peter, because I hope you're turning there in your Bibles. But if, as you're turning there, I just want to mention something to you. President Trump, and some people see him as, you know, wow, you know what? It, what it changed from what we had? Okay, yeah. But there's, there's. He, he needs Jesus. He, he needs to know who Jesus Christ really is. I, I likened him in the last in the last service. I likened him to Nebuchadnezzar. Only in this respect, Nebuchadnezzar was a king that did not know God. He he was a, an idol worshiper, of course. He was Babylonian, but he. God used Nebuchadnezzar to chastise his people, to judge his people. And even after the destruction of of Israel and and Jerusalem, and Judah and Jerusalem, and the people are in in, in, um, captivity, Daniel, being the one who was there in in one of the first, one of the early uh, exiles groups that went to Babylon. In those times, Nebuchadnezzar came to know the God of Israel. He came to know the God of Israel. Pray for him. He needs to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because when you read the transcript of his his talk to the Saudis, it's like, whoa, man. This is preparing now for the Lord's return. And maybe that's how God's going to use him. Because he's trying to get us ready for, for the return of the Lord. So keep that in mind and keep him in prayer. But the end of all things is at hand. Look at, how, look, look at this, this section that Peter is telling us. The end of all things is at hand. That was 2,000 years ago when he said that. We're 2,000 years closer to the end at hand. It's still at hand, right? So what does he say? Be ye therefore sober, which means be serious and watchful, or watch unto prayer, and above all things have fervent charity, agape love among yourselves. Keep being the church with the love of God, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. In a a word... Peter is is telling the church, listen, don't run up on the top of a mountain wearing a white robe expecting Jesus just to come and pluck you off the top of a mountain. He says, keep living your lives as believers. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God if any man speaks let him speak as the oracles of God if any man minister let him do it as, the abil- as of the ability which God giveth that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever Amen Amen? Alright Seeing then that all these things oh, 2 Peter chapter 3 now next section Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation or conduct and godliness? Looking for now, you're looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens shall be on fire, shall be dissolved, uh, or, or wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. What manner of persons ought we to be? We ought to be walking right with God while we are looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. You see what we're supposed to be doing while all of this is going on? What about Titus chapter 2? Now the Apostle Paul chimes in. And he says in verses 11 through 15, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, where to walk as believers are supposed to walk, where to live as believers are supposed to live, But what else are we to do? Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Stay strong in the Lord. Romans 13, Paul says in verses 11 through 14, and that knowing the time, folks, with everything going on, do you know the time? Do you know the time? Do you know the time? Yeah, see, I'm, I'm, That's called trying to get a response from you. Do, do you know the time? Yeah, boy. Okay, I'm gonna have to do what I did in first service in just a minute that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Wake up! In other words, a few more people jumped last service about this high. Yeah. Wake up! Are you awake now? Yeah. Man, I'm going to have to wonder what's coming out of the air conditioning system, and some kind of sleepy mist or something. Wake up, man. It is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now Paul said that almost 2,000 years ago. Don't you think we're a lot closer now than then? The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, That's the way the world lives today. Not in strife and envying, but put on. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Look at how we are to live as believers. Looking for Him, living right. Looking for Him, living godly. Looking for Him, being a light and being awake and being aware, aware of what's going on. Let's see, that's part of the reason why much of the church today doesn't even concern itself with prophecy, doesn't want to, which is sad because Jesus said, if you'll read Mark 20, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, when you read those three chapters, the Lord is yelling at us. He saying, look at what's to come. Pay attention. Let no one deceive you. I think it is sad that much of the church is deceived in not dealing with the issue of prophecy. Honestly, believe that. Never you go into a church and the Bible is not at the center of what they're doing, I'd run out. I'd just get out of there. Lastly, these are the words of Jesus. In Luke 21, verse 28, I say this a lot, but Jesus said, when these things begin to come to pass, would you think that they have already begun to come to pass? The things that he talks about there in that chapter, as well as in Matthew 24, Mark 13, really most, much, much of it the same way, just presented to us differently, but it's the same stuff. He says, when, you, when these things begin to come to pass, I think they've already begun to come to pass. Then what does he say to do? Look up. And lift up your heads. For your redemption draweth nigh. Lift up your heads. You see, Al-Qaeda and ISIS have lifted up the head Of Islam to this world and they've taken a lot of ground because the church fell asleep. But we're not going to be asleep. We're not going to lift up our heads, you know, to claim responsibility for death and destruction. We're going to lift our heads to proclaim the truth of the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ by lifting up the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. I I think it's sad that a lot of the church is kinda sticking their heads in the sand As if that if, you know, we can stick our heads in the sand and not worry about what's happening in the world. At some point, we can take our heads out of the sand and look around and say, well, I guess things got better or maybe things got worse or whatever. No. God never called us to stick our head in the sand. He called us to lift our heads. And he called us to look up. Jesus said, I'm coming. Be ready. Be ready. Wake up. Wake up, church, because Jesus can come at any moment. Now He's going to finish what he started with Israel. That's what he's doing now. He's got them back in the land. We'll talk about that more next week. I hope that you will come back. (laughs) Let's pray.